0: Welcome to the Life Church podcast. We are here to help people experience a life-changing relationship with Jesus. We hope you were blessed with this message recorded live from Palmerston North, New Zealand. Enjoy. As Zion said, my name is Katie, and together with my husband Joel, we have been pastoring Curate Church for coming up ten years. In September, we'll be ten years of being senior pastors. Um. We began pastoring when we were 25 years old. We had three children and we went from one week, our senior pastor was the pastor, to another, to the next Sunday. We were reading out a letter from him saying that he was no longer it and we were. Um, And so... When I heard that Sophie and Zion were such young young pastors as well, I immediately, my heart was pulled to them. I wanted to help them, but I'm so grateful that they didn't go through the kind of transition that we went through. You guys have been really lovely and gentle and awesome to them, and so great work. Do you know that your pastors are really incredible, and I'm not just saying that. Yeah, I think you could give them a round of applause. Really, really amazing. So yeah, I have four children. They are awesome. I've got three sons and a daughter. Our daughter, is, her name is Violet. She's eight years old. She's wild. And, um, because I guess she has three big brothers. <laughs> um, our son, Charlie, is 11, and he's beautiful. We've got my son, Micah, who's 14, totally pushing boundaries at this time. Um, and my eldest son is 18, about to turn 19 next month, and he's an amazing guy. He, um, I'm so grateful he lives at home still. He still likes us, and we still like him. Um, and so he's studying university, doing a finance degree, and he's a music teacher, teaching piano um, in primary school and he's our youth worship pastor and so I'm so grateful um, to have him as part of it and yes I know I'm young Um, it's okay (laughs) so um, growing up I was totally like a rebel without a cause and maybe you were a rebel without a cause or you've raised a rebel without a cause. Um when you're just rebellious for the sake of being rebellious, you know? That was that was me. My teachers didn't like me. Um my report card always said, Katie is great. She has a lot of potential. You know, you know when they say she's got a lot of potential, it's like yeah, she's not really living up to it. Um, I remember my science teacher, Mrs. Lund, she was so great and she was an older lady and she wore like these kilt-like skirts. And so my whole, like, my whole purpose from going to science was not to learn, but to see how many, you know those test tube clamps? Gia, just to see how many of those clamps I could get on her skirt as she walked past. Um, Rebel without a cause. I'm just painting a picture here. You know, I remember in my um, economics class, my teacher, I remember she said to everybody, would you, like, everyone, girls, like, let's go outside. And I just had like this moment of genius. And so I hid when they all went outside. And as they were outside, I hot glue gunned everybody's pens to their desks, including the teachers and their rulers and everything. And so when they came back in and tried to use their pens, I remember feeling that tension of like, I should own up to this because it was awesome. And so I jumped up and was like, it was me. And um, I only got a week of detention, which I thought was not too bad, really. Not too bad at all. Definitely a rebel without a cause. And so when I became a Christian and when I um, received Jesus, I was like, what do I do with all of this defiant energy? (laughs) Where do I channel this? And it has been really cool because I love how the Holy Spirit meets you where you're at. And He's taken me on a journey how to channel that defiant energy into actually standing defiant against the culture around us. So within all of us, we have a flesh and our flesh is defiant and it's usually defiant to the things of God and to authority. And and so the Holy Spirit has been showing me how to channel that defiant energy into actually being defiant to the culture that we live in. See, I don't think I need to explain to you or to tell you that the culture we live in today is very different from the culture of Jesus and the ways of Jesus. I don't think I need to explain that to you. I think that's pretty obvious. And so to live embracing this culture of Jesus, it actually means to stand against the tide. So we can't expect to just go out and live amongst our culture without standing against a tide. And so it's about taking that defiant energy and then standing against the pull away from Jesus and His ways and channeling that to live within His ways. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2 don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. And so, what better way to be equipped? then to look into God's Word. And so this morning, uh, this message is based on the text of my favourite psalm. It's probably the most well-known psalm. It's a precious um, piece of literature. It's a treasured piece of literature, not only in the church, but outside of it. And that's Psalm 23. And so I'm going to read Psalm 23. And I'd encourage you, I'm sure you've heard it before. If you haven't, this is going to be great for you. But I just encourage you to hear it as if you're hearing it for the first time. So you can close your eyes if you wanna do that. And I'm gonna read out Psalm 23. This is in the New Living Translation. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to His name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff, they protect and they comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You are with us. I thank You for this church. I thank You, Holy Spirit, that You were wanting to impart some truth into us this morning. And so I pray that You would have Your way. I pray that You would accomplish everything that You set out to accomplish today. I pray that You would speak through me. And I pray for everybody in this room, that You would give us, through Your Spirit, the ability to really understand what You were trying to say through this text. And I pray that that understanding would reap such a harvest in our lives that it would bless not only us, but the generations to come. Would this not just be another word that we hear and that we go on living the same, but may this be a word that transforms us from the inside out. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. First point is the defiant act of contentment. The defiant act of contentment. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. I don't think there's a more countercultural statement than that. I have all that I need. In this consumeristic culture that we live in, where having more and being more makes you successful, that statement, I have all that I need, is an incredibly defiant statement. It goes against the grain of our culture. I have all that I need. Even just saying it, it's like, oh, doesn't it make you like go, I have all that I need. It like brings us into line with God and his way and his will. I have all that I need. One day I did a terrible thing. I went to the gym at 6 a.m. with a friend. I don't like the mornings and I don't like gyms and I don't know why I was coerced into doing this, but I did. And so there I was with my friend, and I was partnered up with her, and what you need to know about my friend Kirsten is that she is incredibly fit and incredibly strong. She could probably outlift any men in here, and she can just keep going, going, going. She's ridiculous. And so I was partnered up with her, and I was like, yay, friend. And so we're doing our, you know, our little circuit thing, And we were doing press-ups and they're not my strong suit. And so I'm on my knees and she's doing, she's like up on her feet, you know, doing three to my one, which is fine. She's awesome. And then one of the trainers came up and he kind of came down and he goes, are you her friend? And I thought, I don't like where he's going with this. And I was like, yeah, like, great. And he was like, oh, I feel sorry for you. And I was so puffed. And he's lucky that I was so puffed that I couldn't actually like come at him. All I said was no. But what I wanted to say was, hey, like that statement is exactly what is wrong with the culture today. See, our culture says that if someone is more, that somehow we are less, which means that we need more. But this is not the way of the kingdom, this is not the way of Jesus, that we can stand next to somebody that has more and still declare, I have all that I need. And so my fitness can stand next to my friend's fitness and I can still say, I have all that I need. Your bank account can stand next to somebody's flourishing bank account and you can still say, I have all that I need. Your broken relationship can be next to a flourishing one. You can still say, I have all that I need. You might see someone with the gift of prophecy and you might be wanting to develop in that and you can be next to them and minister next to them and still say, I have all that I need. See, just because you have all that you need and you believe it in your heart doesn't mean that this is all you're ever going to have. See, we live and we worship a God that has more for us. He always has more for us. He has the whole world is in His hands. There is more for you. Like there is more healing for you. There is more courage for you. There is, more, there is more faith that you can have. There's more healing that you can have. There's more restoration for you. There's more opportunities for you. Just because we have all that we need doesn't mean we have all that we're ever going to have. I love in Ephesians 3 verse 20, I have this up on the wall in our bedroom. Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. He has more for you, more freedom for you. And so even when we feel like we're totally lacking, we can say and mean, I have all that I need because the Lord is my shepherd. And all that I have right now is not all that I'm ever going to have. The defiant act of contentment. I love a content person. I love a content person. The second is the defiant act of rest. The defiant act of rest in our busy, busy world that glorifies success, that glorifies having different jobs and running from meeting to meeting. It glorifies the working mom, those that are in power, in this tired world, there's nothing more defiant than to be in a place of rest. He leads me, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams and he renews my strength or he restores my soul. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So to put it really bluntly, if you're not resting, if you're not resting in God, if you don't have rhythms of rest in your life, you are not following Jesus in this area. You're following someone or something else. But I tell you, it's not Jesus Jesus is our good shepherd. He leads us to still waters. He makes us lie down and rest. He said, come to me and I will give you rest. And so if you're not resting, you're not following Jesus. And I know that's really confronting and and it's really confronting for me too. You might be following an inward pressure. You might be following a cultural pressure. You might be following someone, but it's not Jesus. You know, we weren't meant to be on 24 seven. And never before has it been just so accessible for us to do so. You know, we really do live in a world that never sleeps. You can watch Netflix all night long if you want to. You could be texting people on the other side of the world in their daytime. I mean, you really, you could work into the night. We really do live in a world that doesn't sleep. Day merges with night and people are really tired. I remember after that first lockdown, talking to people and they were saying, wow, it was actually really nice. And it was like, because they were resting for the first time in a long time. And there just seems to be a pull away from rest, don't you think? See, the most of the people that I know in my life, they're not work deficient, they're rest deficient. And so I'm assuming that a lot of you here are more rest efficient than work deficient. And if you're work deficient, um, maybe this part's not for you. Maybe learn to work really hard um, and, and, and rest too. Just saying. You know, I remember when I was a young mum and so busy, you know, four kids. And, and if I ever had a moment to finally sit down, I tell you what, if Joel's car pulled in or someone else's car would pull in, would like I'd leap up and just pretend to start dusting something or like, you know, fold washing. Like, What is the problem with someone walking in and seeing me with my feet up? Like they'll probably say, great work, you know, but why is it that we feel like less that we feel like busyness is like a badge of honour. It is not the way of Jesus. I think that's why it says in one translation, He makes me lie down in green pastures because we're so resistant and stubborn. You know, we were created to live, to work with purpose, and we were created to rest with purpose. Notice that it says, He leads me beside quiet waters and He refreshes my soul. It doesn't say rest refreshes your soul. It says He refreshes my soul. And so if you're thinking, I just need a holiday, I just need another day off. Rest is not gonna refresh your soul. Jesus, your shepherd, He's the one that refreshes your soul. And so the culture of our world is I need another holiday and I need this day off. That is not going to satisfy. The only kind of rest that is actually gonna be a rest for you is the kind that is found in God. And so that leads me to the first point of rest is a a soul rest. A soul rest, living and working and relating from that place of rest in God, an abundance of identity and security, knowing where we are, knowing who we are in God, knowing where we've come from, knowing where our value comes from, nothing to prove, striving free, that place of rest in God. He refreshes my soul. Sabbath rest, that's the other one. We're not so good at that in this day and age. We might think it's an Old Testament thing. I think it's a very relevant thing for our modern world. And I think there's no greater act of defiance than to actually stop and realise that this whole world doesn't revolve on me continuing to go, but I'm gonna show everybody that I can stop and I can rest and I can trust that it's in God's hands. It's an act of faith to stop and to rest. See, Joel and I, with our four children and with a big church, we could go 24-7, seven days a week and still not get everything done. So for us having a Sabbath, it's like an act of faith. And so for you today, this should be your day of Sabbath. Sabbath. This should be a day of rest where you come and you worship and when you go home, you're not doing housework, you're not going to the supermarket, you're not running errands, you're not mowing the lawns, but you're actually resting. You're connecting with God and you're connecting with each other and He becomes your rest it's not just a ceasing of activity. It's a drawing closer to Jesus. And so for us as pastors, we don't get Sundays off. And so we start our Sabbath on a Thursday night at dinnertime with our family. We've done all of the housework and errands. And then we go to bed and rest and we wake up, drop the kids at school, and we spend the whole day not doing any jobs, just refreshing ourselves in God and it's been life-changing, it's been life-changing, the defiant act of rest, the defiant act of rest. Thirdly, the defiant act of courage. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. And in the time of David, valleys were not a safe way of passage Valleys were not a safe way of passage. You only went through a valley if you had to or if you had enough weapons and means to defend yourself. Because when you walked through a valley, there was often often like desert raiders and desert robbers and they could be hiding and they could look down, see that they could take you, they would come and trap you. And so you had to be able to defend yourself. It was that feeling of someone could take me out at any moment. And so when you imagine that, imagine walking through that valley, I'm just gonna read it again. When I, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid why? For you are close beside me. So our, our courage is not in our ability to get through the valley. Our courage is not in our own ability to, to, to defend ourselves. Our courage is because of who is beside us. Just like a little kid is able to stand up to their bully because the big brother is next to them. All of a sudden, a bit more courage, you know? Their confidence is not in their own ability, but in the one who is with them. In my little brother's case, his big sister, who was not so big, I was the same size as him. But I remember in primary school, uh, we were playing this game and I was two years older than him. And so my little brother, Anthony, came up and he was like, Katie, can I play? And I said, yes, but you have to ask Scott, because you know, in primary school, the person who started the game, like can, you know, they're like the gatekeeper, you can play, you can't, you know, that kind of thing. And so my little brother, Anthony, went up to Scott and said, can I play, like, with this cute smile on his face? And he just yelled in his face, like, no. And he pushed him. And I was like, oh. And so I just went up and I just kicked Scott where it hurt. And... (laughs) As I was walking away, I was like, I should have done more. Like, I felt I think he deserved more than that. I should have stuck up for my brother a little more. And so then, you know, the next time we were walking home from the bus and my friend Corey was giving Anthony a really hard time. He was like holding the ball like high above him, like teasing him. And so I went to swing at him and I didn't mean to punch him in the face, but he spun around. And so I got him square in the tooth, which knocked it out. And um, I did get in trouble for that. But I tell you what, They didn't pick on Anthony anymore. And it was because I was with him. And so for us, our confidence in the valleys that we walk through in life is not in our ability, but it is in who is with us. See, God is omnipresent, which means He is with us all of the time. It's like a divine miracle, even when we can't see Him, even when we can't feel Him, He goes before us. He is beside us. God kept saying to Joshua as he was leading the people of Israel into the promised land, be strong and courageous, why? For I am with you. And so I don't know what your valley looks like, maybe it's a diagnosis, maybe it's a loss of job, maybe it's a loss of confidence, maybe it's a relationship in need of repair. I don't know what valley you're going through or walking someone through, but I tell you, the defiant act of courage in this day is not to be confident in our ability to get through it, but to be confident in the one who is beside us, the defiant act of courage. And lastly, And I love this one. The defiant act of fulfilment. The defiant act of fulfilment. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. My cup overflows with blessing. Have you ever had moments like that when you're just sitting there and you're like my cup overflows. You look at your family, you look at your life, you see the countries that are still living in lockdown and the beautiful land that we get to enjoy, and you go, my cup overflows. The fact that you can still gather as a church and be with each other, my cup overflows. I love Peter, he's my favourite disciple. Peter, he loved Jesus with a passion. It was really obvious. He didn't always get it right, but he certainly loved him. He was the one that when Jesus first asked him if he would be his disciple, he said to come follow me. He was the one that just got down on his knees and he said to Jesus, just, just get away from me. I'm not even worthy to be near you. He was the one that famously walked on water He was the one that before Jesus had revealed who he was as the Son of God and as Christ and Messiah, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And I believe that's an important question if you haven't answered that. Who do you say that I am? And Peter was the one that said, you are Christ, you are the Son of God. And he proclaimed who he was. Peter was the one that would declare to Jesus the night before he was on trial. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And then he denied him that night three times. Jesus was always there for Peter. He was always there to remind Peter of who he really was. Peter, you are the rock and on this rock, I will build my boat. All of Peter's regret was in the boat. All of Peter's fear was in the boat. His loss of the vision for what he hoped his life would be, all of his internal struggles were in the boat, and they fished all night and they caught nothing. And then someone, the risen Jesus, who they didn't recognize as Jesus, on the shore said to them, "Hey, friends, have you got any fish?" Knowing for well they didn't, and they said, "No, fished all night long." And he said, "Well, won't you let your nets out on the other side?" And so they let their nets out on the other side and they caught so much fish that they couldn't pull it in. And then the apostle, uh, the disciple John remembered that that had happened before. And he said to Peter, it's the Lord. And so Peter, for a second time, leapt out of the boat. This time he couldn't walk on water, but he swam and he ran with his tunic over his head towards Jesus and he runs up onto the shore and he stands before Jesus And Jesus says the most surprising thing. He says, come and have breakfast. And Peter's like, what? Come and have breakfast. I mean, talk about preparing a table in the presence of his enemies. So there's Peter standing before him with his regret, with his fear, with his guilt, with his biggest mistake. And in the presence of those things, Jesus is saying, why don't you sit down and eat? And it's like he's saying to us, I know you're feeling disconnected from me. I know you've got doubt. I know you've made mistakes. I know you've got your struggles. But hey, in the presence of those things, why don't you sit down and why don't you feast on the goodness that I am? So I think in life we can think that we have to get all of those things worked out in order to sit down at the Lord's table and enjoy His goodness. But He's saying in the presence of those things, would you sit and eat? In those presence of those things, would you enjoy who I am? Not because of anything that you've done, but because of who I am. See, the enemy doesn't want you to live fulfilled. He wants you to think that those things keep you separated from God, but he's saying, taste and see that I am good. Pull up a chair in the middle of adversity and discover just how good I am. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows. My cup overflows. The defiant act of fulfilment. You know, David himself, he was a shepherd. So as he writes Psalm 23, he has an insight, knowledge into what being a shepherd actually is and how a shepherd relates with the sheep. And Philip Keller, he is a writer and he was a shepherd by vocation and a pastor. And he wrote this amazing commentary on Psalm 23. And I just want to read you a tiny bit out of it. And he said, According to their makeup, it is almost impossible to make a sheep lie down. Um, It is almost impossible to make a sheep lie down unless it has four requirements. They must be free of all fear, free of all friction from their kind, free from tension and free from hunger. And it's only the sheep man himself who can provide relief from these anxieties. And isn't that amazing that it's only Jesus Himself, our Shepherd, He is the only way we can live this defiant life. He is the only way we can live content, we can live rested, full of courage, and fulfilled. That we can only rest because of who He is. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can comment, subscribe, or share it with your friends. For more information, visit us at lifechurchpn.co.nz Have a blessed week.